0: Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. So glad you have joined us, uh, those here as well as those of our campuses who joined via video. Glad to have you with us. We are in 2 Kings and we are in the second chapter. And uh, last week we read the account of Elijah who was taken up into heaven. And it was kind of a fun study as we looked into that. And uh, we uh, can pick it up at. Uh, Verse 11, 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11, and let me encourage you, bring your Bibles with you, so you get familiar with the Bible, as we go through it, one verse at a time. 2 Kings verse 11, Uh, this is Elijah and his assistant Elisha, who had asked him for a double share of his anointing, that when he goes, that God would greatly anoint Elisha in his place. And Elijah says, well, I can't guarantee anything, but if you can see me when God takes me, then uh, then great. So it says here, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his Uh, of his own clothes and tore them apart which was a traditional thing is in mourning they would rip their tunics or whatever it was and often throw dust on their heads and very dramatic in fact even to this day if you look at scenes from the Middle East and watch the way they act at funerals and stuff they are highly dramatic we kind of look like wow these people need medication you know it's just it's just culture they do it differently than we do we quietly cry and they dust and hair and ripping clothes and mourning and yelling and screaming and very traditional in the Middle East um, and uh, now he knew this was going to happen he knew that God was going to take him remember all the other prophets around had been telling him you know God's taking him today you know God's taking him today now they didn't really know where he was taking them taking him But uh, remember, all this is happening, there's like 50 prophets just kind of sitting there watching from a hillside. They want to see what happens. Because they're expecting, they all knew. It's like they'd all gotten the memo. Elijah's going today in a dramatic fashion. They all wanted to watch it, so they're watching this. Uh, And then uh, in verse 13, Elisha picks up the cloak that had fallen from Elisha and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And remember, the way they had come across the Jordan is they didn't look for a bridge or some shallow place Elijah said you know things split apart they walked on dry ground I mean Elijah was quite a powerful prophet and uh, so now Elijah comes and he walks to the bank of the Jordan and he takes the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he hits the water with it and he says where now is the Lord the God of Elijah he asked and he, when he struck the water it divided To the right and to the left. And he crossed over. Well the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said... The spirit of Elijah is now resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him. And they bowed to the ground before him. And look they said... We your servants... There's 50 of us able men... Let's go and we'll look for your master. Now they didn't know what had happened. All they knew is God was going to take him up. That much they had been revealed to uh, as prophets... And they thought God had just zapped him and dropped him somewhere, you know, taking him for a cool ride or something. And, uh, uh, so, you know, perhaps the Spirit of the Lord picked him up and set him down on some mountain or on some valley. And, and no, no, Elisha said, "Don't, don't send them. Uh, but they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So finally he said, okay, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, looking all over the place. Where is he? God must have dropped him somewhere after the ride. But they didn't find him. And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he basically says, didn't I tell you not to go? So there. So that was the end of Elijah. He's gone. Elisha's now the new prophet, the big big man on the totem pole here. Well, the men of the city of Elisha, or, or the men of the city where he was at, he's staying in Jericho. Now he says to Elisha, he says, look, our town is as well situated as you can see but the water here is bad and the land is unproductive there was something wrong with the water we don't know what it was uh, but it was basically you know the kind of water if you drink it you're going to die you know poison water or it was uh, salted or who knows what the we have no idea we just know that it was bad water they couldn't drink it they couldn't uh, do anything with the with the with the land with the water and uh, so Elijah says bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. Who knows why they did these things. But Just kind of bizarre things. So they go get a bowl. Something about it says, I need a bowl with some salt in it. So they bring him a bowl with some salt in it. And then he went out to the spring and he threw the salt into it he said, this is what the Lord says. And he prophesies, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So, boom. First, well, actually, second miracle that he did. First thing was splitting the water in half. And now these people are complaining about this water. And he just throws salt in it and boom. Now, what's really interesting is... uh, oftentimes as you read the many miracles in the Bible and even when Jesus was doing miracles they often did things different all the time it, you know what, what's with the bowl you know who knows you know, other times they're throwing different things and, and, and acting in strange ways Jesus sometimes would lay hands on someone sometimes he would just speak to them sometimes he would just tell them to go and do something and you'd get healed one time he, he spits in the mud you know, and makes mud out of the spit and sticks it on the guy's eyes so he could so he could receive a sight. I mean, just really rather strange behavior. You know, and I think one of the reasons that God always would do something a little different is because He knows us. We're the kind of people that we're always looking for a formula. What's the formula? Give me the formula to get an answer to prayer. You see what I'm saying? And some of you even think, well, you know, how do I get an answer to prayer? What do I say first? You know, do I point this direction and and hold my antenna higher? You know, and everybody's desperately looking for some natural formula. This is the nature of man. And we tend to make, uh, instead of connecting with God, we make it more about the way that we do things. I mean, it's it's just one of these strange things. It's always been this way. Um, uh, For those of you who've been with us through the whole study now in the Old Testament, the one time where... Uh, snakes had come poisonous snakes and they were biting the people in Israel and they were dying of these poisonous snakes and everybody's freaking out and and they come to Moses and says what should we do? well sometimes Moses would just pray for them sometimes God would heal them sometimes an angel would come in this case God tells them make a bronze snake and put it up on a stick snake on a stick okay so they got the big snake on a stick and they basically said if you will just look at the snake you'll be healed Okay, again, rather bizarre. Why not just pray for me? What's with the snake on the stick? But it's just what God did. So they do the snake on a stick and everybody who looked at it would instantly be healed. Those who thought this is stupid died. Bad choice. Um, And then, of course, what do they do? Later we found out that they took that bronze snake and they put it in a special place and they started worshiping the snake. You know, oh snake, Sakatumi snake, holy oh, blah, blah 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 blah. Oh, we love you, snake. You know why? Because we wanted to be about the thing. We wanted to be about the thing. This has been uh, a temptation since man has been on the on the face of the earth. And I might touch on some sore ground who don't have a cow okay but I mean most of us here have come from very traditional backgrounds like Catholics or Greek Orthodox or something like that and you know in those churches the big thing is to get a piece of something that belonged to a saint right some holy relic if you get a holy relic then who whoo then God's near well, see the reason the Bible never talks about that and that is a deviation from the Bible if you're Catholic don't get mad at me you know, but that people want something holy, they want something they can touch. why? because it's got to be some kind of formula. if I can just put this in my pocket, you know a hair from a saint, or you know a fingernail from some pope or something then then I'll be blessed and and God looks at that stuff and he hates that stuff because it's not about things and bits of peel of holy people for crying out loud. it's supposed to be about him, it's supposed to be about a relationship. Can you imagine? standing at the altar and you're about to get married and and the guy he's not really interested in you, he just wants something that you had on right? Do you take this woman as your bride? Well, no, but I'm really looking forward to cleaning my underwear. You know, I I mean, come on! It's supposed to be about relationship, right? A commitment, a connection God wants to be connected with His people. He wants to be connected with you and He's not going to keep doing things the same way every time because what will happen is you will get more onto the formula than you will about knowing Him. And now while we can teach about prayer about ways to pray and how to approach God and something, that's fine but even that, even that needs to be with a very broad brush people because God will do what God's gonna do and the minute you try and put God in a box He will kick His way out of the box it's the way... Because he doesn't want to be in a box. And he doesn't want it to be about something or some formula. If I just do this and this and this and... You know. <laughs> this, this happens a lot even in evangelical Christianity. There are people that... Uh, in, in certain denominations, certain groups, movements and stuff. When they pray for you, it doesn't matter what they pray. Uh, but they immediately go into a formula. And it's like quoting certain verses. And saying things in a certain way. And speaking to this, that and the other Come on, you know what I'm talking about Some of y'all might do this And if you catch yourself doing it, you need to stop Okay, this isn't about a formula It's not If you make it about a formula It, it almost becomes a version uh, this, is, this is going to sound strange But it becomes akin to witchcraft I mean, what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is about finding a formula Right? Eye of newt, little bat wing This, that and the other And saying a spell Hullabala, 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 hoo. Hullabala, 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 hoo. And if you do that with some bat wing and all that, Then you get, you know God hates that stuff Don't become a God in formulaic ways And while you can quote the scripture And I, I think it's fine to quote the scripture But seriously, some people It becomes more like a formula to them I just quote this verse and speak this word and that Quote this word, speak this word and that there's guys you can even get books I don't know if we have any of our books or if we do we need to get rid of them but they got you know how, seriously because it's so pervasive you know how to pray if you want to pray about this quote this verse say this dance like that you know whatever it is that's how you get your answer and while I get the point and it's good to know the promises of God and I'm not against that and knowing scriptures you can go to not against that I think it's great to pray God's word right back to Him. alright but be careful don't fall into some kind of formulaic Christianity because you start doing that, you're going to find that the heavens will become like brass because God just isn't into that. You know, thank God Jesus didn't pray for everybody the same way all the time because I guarantee you, we'd all be doing it. If every time he spit and pray for people and spit and bud and suck it on their head, we'd, be, we'd have, you know, people up here hocking loogies, the whole service. <laughs> you know they would. You know, we'd have, you know, loogie Sunday. We'd have Lugie. Next Sunday's going to be loogie Sunday. And if you're having a problem with your eyes, come, we're going to hock loogies and make some mud and stick it on your eyes. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. <laughs> he said, ooh, yeah, this, ooh. that's what Jesus did. I mean, how do you explain that? What's he doing? He's hocking a loogie, man. He's making mud, so stick it on your eyes. What? What? You know, just... It's not about the formula all the time. We just... Again, while there are principles that seem formulaic, and that's okay, I'm just saying as a caution, just make sure this doesn't become about the way you pray and what you say and that you lose this connection with God. You know, it's great to have men of faith pray for you. Men who have great anointing and stuff, but you make it more about, you know, like that some kind of holy relic, some guy touching you in a special, you know, because he's got the special anointing on him you just got to be careful about that because God is a jealous God and in a good way jealousy actually if you take the actual original definition of jealousy, if you look it up in the dictionary actually jealousy is a good thing, it means being intolerant of unfaithfulness that's what real jealousy means being intolerant of unfaithfulness then there's the paranoid psycho jealousy which most people think of today, that's that's not good try not to be a paranoid psycho if that's at all possible in your life but true jealousy you should all be jealous of your spouses it means intolerance of unfaithfulness Ah! seriously some people need to get more of that in them some of the emails I get good lord (laughs) seriously it's like you know there's no cure for just dumb it's like, how can you be this dumb? How can you possibly be this dumb? My, my husband, my husband goes, has girlfriends. And spends time, and he goes to lunch and spends time, and they go bowling together and stuff like that. And he says, there's nothing wrong with it. What do you think, Pastor Mark? <laughs> Are you kidding me? She should be jealous. She should be intolerant of unfaithfulness. Your husband starts dating. You should have a problem with that. (laughs) Well, it's not dating. We're just getting together. What do you think dating is? You get together, you laugh, you talk, you have a meal. You're married. No more dating. (laughs) Good Lord, I just... I don't know why people email me. I'm so mean. <laughs> anyway, so in this case, he takes a bowl of salt, you know, and, and seriously, if this happened more than two or three times in the Bible, I promise you, every time somebody had a problem with water on their land, we'd be walking around with bowls of salt and sprinkling it everywhere because we're trying to follow the formula. It's about connecting with God. All right, so that's that miracle. Now, this is the third miracle. This next one, this is not a good miracle. <laughs> But very strange story in the Bible. I don't know. It's the Old Testament. They were very strange. Here's the next story. Verse 23. From there, Elijah went up to Bethel. As he's walking along the road, some punk kids come out. Utes. The Utes come out out of town. There's got to be at least 42 of them. We'll see why in a second. But you know, about 50 of these kids come out. And they jeer at this guy. And they say, go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. They're making fun of the guy because he's bald. See, that's a big sin, people. <laughs> <laughs> Respect the shine is all I got to say. <laughs> so these youths, we don't know how old they are. You know, the, I would think they're got to be junior high or younger you know, because he'd be going because nah, 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 nah. he's bald, you know how ignorant is this, but then Elisha gets really ticked off you don't want to tick off prophets that have great miracles in their lives right? so this guy turns around and he looks at him, and he calls down a curse on them in the name of the Lord now, from my viewpoint, I'm thinking Elisha, dude, chill okay, they're punk kids you're bald, get over it I'm serious. I mean, that's the way I would look at it. But, you know, this guy... Prophets are a little strange. He turns around, he curses them. And then he goes away. And then two bears come out of the woods and mauls 42 of them. Whoa. Wow, that's a little severe, don't you think? For going... I don't know. Anyway, that's what happened. I bet you nobody did it again. (laughs) That's one thing about the Old Testament, man. You know, wow, boom, and you get the point. Yes, don't do that again. All right, then he goes on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. All right, now chapter 3. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. So again, we got the two kings, the north and the south kingdoms. Uh, Ahab was a real slime bag. And finally, after God was so patient with him. And it's great to read this stuff because if God can be this patient with these people this bad, he can be pretty patient with you. But anyway, he just finally, this guy had gone over the line so much, you know, judgment came. The guy was killed in battle. So Joram, his son, becomes king in Samaria. Jehoshaphat which is a pretty good guy remember Jehoshaphat we read he's the guy that was still trusting God and and they went into battle and they put the choir at the front and they're singing and praising God and God sends great victory this is Jehoshaphat so again between the two nations and they both had serious problems and it got them in trouble but Israel was much worse the ten tribes to the north than Judah uh, uh, and uh, Benjamin were to the south But uh, so anyway So talking about Joram. Now in verse 2, he says, "...he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done." You know, Jezebel and Ahab, these guys were really bad. So he was bad, but not as bad as his parents. Uh, Because he did some good things. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nonetheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit." And he did not turn away from them, so he still stayed in uh, degrees of this uh, false idols and basically Satan worship. It's very strange stuff. Uh, so anyway, now Misha, king of Moab, raised sheep. This is what he did. And you know, remember these kings, um, you know, it's, this is more like the Middle Ages kind of. There were kings everywhere, you know. and it's, These are basically guys who had, you know, they were property owners and they had people around them and they... You know, da 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 And often to keep peace between the kingdoms, they would work out treaties with each other and because they were always fighting these people. Uh, so anyway, he, um, his part of the deal is that he had to supply the king of Israel with 100,000 lambs and with the wool of 100,000 rams. Lambs and rams. So that was part of the deal uh, that he was supposed to do for Ahab. He wanted peace with Ahab. Ahab was psycho-crazy. So anyway, Ahab dies, verse 5. So the king of Moab then rebels against the king of Israel. He said, well, I'm not going to do this for his kid anymore. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all of Israel. So he's going to go to war because he's not giving me the sheep anymore. And he also sent a message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And the king of he says, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go up with me to fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat, the pretty good guy, says, I will go with you. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So even while there were still two kingdoms at this time, at times they were very, very much on the same page and worked very closely together, as we see here. Uh, So then uh, uh, Joram, king of Israel, says, Well, what, what route shall we attack? And he says, Well, we'll go through the desert of Edom. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals that were with them. So they basically got themselves in trouble. Poor planning. They weren't paying attention to what they were going. And you have to remember, we got thousands and thousands of men marching with the horses and all the stuff that's going on. You know, to get yourself in a situation where there's no water is oops bad planning because now you're vulnerable all the enemy's got to do is wait you out let you dry up man they come and and knock you off and then the king of Israel says what? has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? that's interesting how they always think everything was God to them no matter what they did even if they were stupid they said it was God but uh, anyway so Jehoshaphat asked well is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him well an officer of the king of Israel answered there's Elisha son of Shaphat, is here he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah, he was Elijah's, this incredible prophet's servant and Jehoshaphat said well the word of the Lord is with him, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to go check out with Elisha so Elisha says to to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other Go to the prophets of your father, the prophets of your mother. These false prophets. In other words, he was ticked off as soon as he saw the king of Israel. He's highly irritated. Get away from me. Go check with your other boogie-woogie prophets and their Satan worship and everything else. And no, the king of Israel said, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. How they get this, I don't know. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. See, I like him. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't even look at you people. Or even notice you. But as it is, I'll help you out. So he wants to get in the presence of God. He wants to prophesy. And the first thing he asks for is for a musician. Now bring me a harpsist. Now we've seen this with David. Uh, you'll see this time and time again. That oftentimes these people uh, would want music playing to help them get into a spirit of prophecy very very interesting so music is a powerful thing it's a wonderful thing obviously we use it whenever we enter into the service and it's our time of singing and praising and worshiping and um, uh, it, there's just something special about it a lot of people when they pray they'll put on some soft worship music or something and it helps them to stay in tune so this is something that's gone on for thousands of years so they couldn't pop in a CD so they had to go get a harp system. So the harpist comes in and he's playing and then the hand of the Lord comes on Elisha and he said this is what the Lord says make this valley full of ditches for this is what the Lord said you will neither see wind nor rain yet this valley will be filled with water and you your cattle and your other animals will drink this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord (laughs) I love it again bizarre instructions again it's like every time God comes up with some strain. You know, the other time it was put the choir at the front. You know, this time is dig ditches in the middle. One time God tells Moses, you know, go talk to the rock, water will come out. Next time hit the rock, water will come out. Actually, it's the other way around. But uh, uh, you know, just it, again, constantly moving the way that God would move. I cannot stress this enough because He doesn't want you to get caught up in the formula of approaching God so much as being connected to Him and respecting Him so the plan is I'm gonna send you water, I'm not gonna send any rain, there's not gonna be any wind I just want you to go out and dig a bunch of ditches now this has gotta seem incomprehensibly stupid right? I mean first of all, you're out there, you've been marching for seven days, you got no water who do you think feels like digging ditches at this point? and the king comes up and says, dig ditches, everybody dig ditches because there's gonna be water in the ditch oh you mean it's gonna rain? no then why are we digging the ditches? Just dig them. So they go and they all got to dig these ditches. Again, very strange things, but they wanted to obey what the prophet had said. So, he's, and, and so the prophet said, this is easy, this is nothing. And he will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, ruin every good field with stones. You're just going to wreck this place because of this wicked nation. Well, the next morning, about the time of the offering for the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Obviously, just all these ditches they had dug were suddenly filled with water. Pretty cool, right? Again, something that would have happened two or three times in a row. From then on, everybody would be just digging holes and waiting for God to fill it with water. Wouldn't work, though. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man young and old who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early the next morning, the sun was shining on the water. And remember, this is an area where there is no water. They don't know there's no water there. I mean, I mean they don't know there's water because there's no water. So they get up and they see all these reflecting pools of water Bouncing off the morning sun. The sun's got kind of a red haze to it. And uh, it says to the Moabites across the way, the, the water looked red. It looked like blood. So they went, that's blood. These guys must have went psycho crazy. And they fought and slaughtered each other, which on occasion would happen. Armies would get mad at each other. They'd start fights and they'd wipe each other out. We've read about it before. God would confuse. In fact, the last story with Jehoshaphat, when the king put the... Choir at the beginning, they come singing. He confused the armies. They all turned on each other, killed everybody. It was just the craziest thing. So, these guys, again, it's got to be reflecting. There's no water there. Look at the kind of jiggling stuff. They're red. Is, it's blood. They've all killed each other. This is awesome. So, instead of maintaining their forms, instead of uh, their battle plans and stuff, everybody just goes, Yee They're all dead. So, they just go running, helter skelter, crazy, unorganized, into this valley. To just get the plunder. Okay? So, and that's what he yells. He says, the kings must have fought. He said, now to the plunder, Moab. But when all these guys come running in, well, the Israelites stood up. (laughs) It's like, oops. (laughs) And they're not prepared for this. They are disorganized. They're running. They're crazy. And then the Israelites started fighting them. And they fought them until they fled and they're running for their lives and the Israelites come running after them and they invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. And they destroyed the towns and every man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. And they stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree just like Elisha had said. Only Ker Harish was left with its stones in place, but men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it It as well. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was supposed to succeed him as his king. We do not know how old this boy was. He could have been a baby, he could have been a young boy, he could have been a teenager, we have no idea. But again, to show you the depravity of these people, that oftentimes we just see the fact that God sent him in to destroy a nation, we think, oh, how horrible. But you have to remember how horrible these people were. These people like, were all over the line. So this guy, in a desperate effort to attract his gods to help him, takes his firstborn son and sacrifices him on the city wall. Human sacrifices. I mean, these guys were very, this is a very depraved nations that they were fighting against constantly. Uh, and the fury against Israel was great. And they finally withdrew and returned to their own land. And that's the end of that story about Moab. Fascinating. Uh, next, un- or next Wednesday, when we pick it up again now, we're going to continue to read some of the stories, uh, the miracles of Elisha. And there's one after another. He is quite an amazing prophet. Uh, one can almost say in, in some areas he outproduced Elijah. But Elijah is always ex- ex- uh, held in much higher esteem than Elisha. In fact, you almost never hear about Elisha from here on out always talked about Elijah. He's the one who held the great thing. And as we talked about last week, this is when, you know, John the Baptist came. He was coming in the spirit of Elijah. This is the one that they held with great esteem. And uh, it wasn't always about the miracles. It must have been about the way this guy was so intense in confronting evil in his nation. So we'll pick us up, chapter 4, next week.